Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, here with my dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts. How are you today, Wendy? I am fantastic, Marty. How are you? It couldn't be better. It's my favorite time of the week. So oh. we, well, of course, why not hanging out with fellow <laughs> master instructors? But last week we did our version where we brought in two special guests, Mr. Andy Hanley and Chris Eklund. And we talked about our favorite exercises or exercises that we really like to put in there. And we dug deep on why we choose those exercises. And we got such good response. We figured why not invite them back and turn it 180 degrees and talk about exercises. Are they overrated or not? So this ought to be a very fun and interesting session as well. Yes, I'm really excited about it. Uh, you know, I think based on our conversation, it was like, oh, I love this exercise. And we're like, I don't know. And so I think that kind of what is what triggered this topic. And so I think it's it could be a very uh, interesting, um, yes. you know, uh, topic today. And um, I do kind of want to throw it out there that just keep in mind, guys, like when we say it's overrated, this is just our opinion. And everybody needs to design their own programs the way that they see fit. We're going to give our reasons of why, because again, I know some of the exercises we may talk about could be very close to someone's heart. So if you feel that it's safe and you love it for your clients or love it for yourself, then by all means, feel free. I mean, that's the personal part of personal training. So uh, I just, uh, I don't want to get hammered <laughs> um, with questions. So I just kind of want to throw it out there before we even get started and before we bring the boys in. But we're going to explain it so well that, that we won't have any of that. So not a worry. <laughs> um, well, let's go ahead. Um, we've got Mr. Andy Hanley here as well as Chris Eklund. And um, if you guys missed our session last week, um, then I'm going to have Andy go ahead and kind of give a brief overview of who he is and, and what he does. And uh, then we'll, we'll follow up with Chris and you know tell everyone a little bit about yourselves. Beautiful. Uh, hi, guys. Good to be back. Um, Andy Hanley here coming from sunny South Florida. Uh, quick background on me. I work in both the performance realm. So I've got a facility here that specializes in uh, developing youth athletes as well as, you know, harnessing and heightening the capabilities and capacities of elite and pro level athletes. And I've also got a facility that specializes in uh, a well-considered programming approach to group fitness for the general population. So uh, in my day-to-day -day job, I get to work with my personal training clients, as well as my athletes. And then obviously I get to dive into that group training world, which is obviously fun for many different reasons. But yeah, glad to be back and excited to uh, have a nice friendly discussion here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, tell, tell everyone about you. <clears throat> Good to see you again. And I uh, appreciate you having me back. Uh, I am in Santa Barbara, California. So once again, uh, hopefully just as sunny as uh, Florida, but maybe not as warm. But here in Santa Barbara, we have a performance center and uh, we do the kind of the whole gamut of training. So the eight to 88, um, we do fitness, post rehab and performance, and we do it all under one roof. <clears throat> so we see clients that are, um, general pops, um, we have geriatric in here and, um, our, our athlete population is more, uh, middle school, high school, uh, we get some college, and then a lot of adult athletes as well. So that's that's uh, day to day. I do most of my time is spent uh, on the business, but I still get to uh, get my hands dirty a little bit, a couple few hours a day with some clients as well. Fantastic. All right, so here we go. We're we're diving in, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna just I'm gonna 
just name one of us off here and they're going to talk to us about an exercise that they feel is overrated. And then as a panel, we're going to go through and we're going to say whether we agree or we disagree and our reasons why. So let's go ahead and start off the conversation with Mr. Chris Eklund. Chris, why don't you, you start us off and tell us your exercise choice and why. Okay. Well, I'm surprised. I thought for sure that we were going to go with the Hanley route to kick it <laughs> off at the end, but Shocker. that's all right. Curveball, yeah. <laughs> Chris. So the 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 exercise I chose. Uh, if those of you if, if you were here last week, you may remember I said I have a very difficult time choosing kind of favorites, and I guess this is a least favorite, uh, overrated. So I, I kind of went a different route here and, and said, <clears throat> instead of a particular pattern, it's it's a way that some patterns are done. And that is the RM lift. So be it a, a squat, a bench, a dead, <clears throat> those to me, I feel like are overrated lifts. And I, I think perspective wise for me, it comes from um, typically the, the athletes that you know I've worked more with in my career, which is which is the younger athlete, the middle school through the college athlete. Um, it's often been such an overplayed, over, overly focused on number, right? The number that, that can be performed with these lifts. So it's, it's been a challenge for me coming from, um, the perspective of the industry I come from and, and, and being an NASM person for so long and having such a high value placed on movement and movement quality that the the pushing of kind of the importance of that number on kids and, and especially guys you know and young men that desire to have you know whatever the bench is or the squat or whatever it is having that number pushed on them is just a recipe uh, in my perspective for just god-awful ugly movement you know and the potential injury risk that comes from that or just the, the wear and tear and the breakdown that comes from poor movement quality um, so, so the, the RM lift really to me is something that I struggle with a lot in, um, in, in athletic performance, as well as it is in general populations that there's an overemphasized, um, focus placed on how much load that can be done one time when the quality of, of the movement is something that, um, completely, uh, is tossed to the side and, and is, escapes the whole equation. So that, that's my quick spiel on, uh, on my overrated um, patterns. Perfect. And just for the group, um, Chris, can you tell everyone when you say RM left, I know exactly mm. what you mean, but what is that? So the, so yeah, actually that could mean a couple different things. So it could mean how many repetitions somebody could do with something like a, a maximum number of repetitions. Maybe I can do 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 pushups in a row. Um, but the particular um, repetition maximum I'm talking about would be the one repetition maximum. So it would be the maximum load that can be performed for one repetition of a movement. So how much can you bench one time? How much can you back squat one time? How much can you deadlift one time? Fantastic. All right, Marty, I'm going to throw that out to you. Do you think it's overrated or not? You're muted, Marty. You're still muted. There you go. Nope, I'm not now. There I'm so engaged. So if I had to put it in one category, the other only, I'm going to go with overrated. Uh, interesting, though, that's how I got into this whole industry because back in the day, everyone said, what's your bench? And, of course, that motivated 
uh, us to get in the gym. But due to what Chris is saying, the odds of us training somebody in even in elite sports, some of these lifts are highly risky. There's a few exceptions if you're dealing with you know some sports over others. But I worked in elite baseball. Did not need to know what their one rep max was on any lift, right? So by and large, I'm absolutely going to go with the overrated category. Nice. Okay. What about you, Mr. Andy? Oh, I want to fight it so bad, but I can't. <laughs> I can't. No, I, I'm with Chris. I mean, look, I'm a big believer in when you're working with, especially an athletic population, strength they can use in competition versus strength we can measure in the gym. I mean, it's our job to make sure that we're giving these guys the raw materials that they can go and express themselves well when they're competing. I mean, and the reality is a one rep max test is it's useful because it provides a measure, a direct measure of someone's absolute strength. And then if you would, if you're trying to compare peer to peer, you can do it at an absolute level. You divide their body weights and now we can compare them on a relative strength. So there is metrics there that can be useful. Is it required? Probably not because there are reconversion charts where if we had guys testing a three or a five rep max, which arguably is safer, uh, we can still get pretty, we can, you know, reverse um, calculate those figures and still get a pretty close, accurate calling on what their one rep max would be. So I don't think the the risk of it truly outweighs the reward. So I would consider it largely uh, overrated, yeah. And for my opinion, I am going to have to also agree. So this was a four for four. Um, the reason I say it is for the same reasons every, everyone else did. I mean, I've trained people to get them ready for the combines where when they are at the combines, they have to be able to lift their max um, for a certain amount um, of reps or a certain specific number. However, um, if we are not training specifically for that, um, you know, NASM has provided us with percentages based on our repetitions as well as the acute variables. And so, you know, if you can have someone go through and, and to your point, you're doing 85 to 100 percent of someone's one rep max. It's if they can do, you know, let's say five repetitions um, as, as explosive because you've worked them up to power, then you know that that is 85 percent of probably their one rep max to everyone's point, it's safer. And um, what's the purpose? And, um, you know, obviously, there's going to be some people that they need to know. And but if you train in the right form, you're working on your um, proper alignment, that as you're going through the OPT model and working your way up through the phases, you're going to be able to lift more because you're training an ideal movement than if you just came in and focused specifically on how much can you lift and you don't really focus on proper alignment, proper core activation, as well as muscle recruitment. So four for four. Nice job. All right. So let's go to the next one. Andy. Mm. Why, don't, why don't you, uh, mm. why don't you, <laughs> here we go. Oh, here we go. Gloves are coming off. All right, Andy. I wish, we didn't, share, I wish we didn't share these ahead of time. So you guys wouldn't have had an opportunity to do your research and be prepared, but no, I'm going to throw an overrated exercise in there as the standard plank. So I'm going to take the same approach that Eminem did in eight mile, where he gave everyone's argument against him first in that final battle song. So I'm going to acknowledge that, the plank is considered the granddaddy of all core stabilization exercises. I understand it's low risk. I understand it can be done anywhere. And it's, uh, it, it's you know, body weight driven where it's just your body mass gravity in the ground. So it's a very useful tool. I think it's good for developing kinematic awareness in clients. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to coach them in a pretty stable stationary environment. Um, but I think for me, that's where it ends. Once someone for me has shown an understanding and a certain level of technical mastery and ownership over a plank position, I'm now going to take that and build from it, not necessarily on it. 
And the issue with that is I feel like people just over-program the plank. And it goes from 20 seconds to 30 seconds to 45 to 60 seconds. And then they want to see how much load they can put on the plank. And now we're seeing people with three, four, five plates on their backs. And the reality is the way that load is oriented, the way the body is orientated to the ground is not really a position that we find ourselves in day to day much or in competition. I'm a big believer of vertical core training. Um, but with that said, it's just for me, it's a position. And we set positions to then move them into patterns. So, yes, once someone shows me a certain level of ownership in a plank, now I want to see how can I transition this into patterns that are going to give me more dynamic, more dynamic correspondence or just a better transference to the activities that I want my guys competing in. Um, so for me, I think planks are useful from the onset, but they quickly become redundant if we don't build from them. They lack movement. They lack transference. Um, and I just think they're over-programmed in the majority of uh, exercise programs for what we're really getting from it. I just feel like there's better ways we can get that same core stabilization effect in more functionally appropriate environments that are going to keep our clients better engaged and we're going to get a better training effect. All right, Marty, what do you think? As much as I'd love to take the gloves off and <laughs> spar with Andy, I completely agree with his explanation, with his abilities, with his clients. Absolutely. Uh, I think people think that it's something that they have to do every single time and there's no other exercise. Now, Again, will I use it maybe one of the first core exercises in mind just kind of as I'm getting my head around what I'm going to be doing as I progress? Yeah, but the, just like I walk before I run, even if I'm going to do a running session, that doesn't mean I just jump on the treadmill. So I agree with them 100% that once you have it, you need like, – we're all supposed to be progressing, whether it's us or our clients. So I do 100% agree with – I don't like how people have tried to progress the standard plank. Like that's – the plank is supposed to be what it is and it is, and it'll always be great for that, but let's progress it differently. And let's progress it like Andy saying in, you know, half kneeling positions, the standing positions, the stagger stance positions, what we, like what I talked about last week, the carries, right? That's a, a transitional plank if you're doing it right. So as much as I'd love to dig in and give him a hard time, I think he explained it spot on and I will agree. Wow. wow okay. that, that, hey, that is a shock. That is a shock. <laughs> But you okay. explained it so well. I, I use it, but that's not the end all be all. It's like, I have no problem. Like I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, there's another exercise that somebody else talked about. I do it just to get my mind going and get a, you know, a, a progressive neurological firing. But that's more of a, it's not like part of my training regimen. It's just that slow buildup into my activation, into my activity. But again, if I thought that that was the only thing I could do, then like you said, Andy, I'd have to start loading it and doing all kinds of craziness. And it's like, okay, let that exercise be what it is, but understand the progressions from there. So since you explained it so well, I will say that it can be for a lot of people overrated and they try to make it too difficult instead of moving on past it. All right, Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is awful. I feel like Mr. Hanley with his with his eight mile presentation dug himself out of a hole there because I was going to come in and force and just say, do not agree. <laughs> not a face value. I I'll, I'll just for the sake of argument here, a face value. I'm going to say not an overrated exercise because I don't think the plank is is a is a bad exercise. Um, unfortunately, that's not what Andy said either. He didn't say it was a bad exercise or. Um, that, that, it, that it did not have value. 
so as a standalone question, I'm going to say, don't agree that it's overrated. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a ton of value in it. Um, but in the context of the conversation, the goal is to get people on their feet eventually. So I do think that we've, we've got to get people on their feet, right? If we want them to be able to engage in the world well um, and be able to interact with gravity and physics, uh, especially mm -hmm. if they're, they're engaging with those things at, at a high loads or high speeds in sport. Um, but we've got to make sure that you know, that, that we have our precursors, we have our foundation patterns, we have you know, some of the, the fundamentals and basics that will allow us to make sure that, that we can teach postures, positions, um, kinesthetic awareness, so that we then have, you know, the ability to move on to some of those other more complex patterns. But, uh, but yeah, he dug himself out of a hole, unfortunately. He did. So, so here we go. So I'm going to have to actually kind of believe I'm, I'm going with Chris on this one. Like I was like, absolutely not. The plank is like, it's amazing because it is a phase one true core stabilization exercise. So what are we focusing on is little to no joint motion of the spine. We're trying to get intervertebral stability. So little muscles to fire to protect the vertebrae. So with that being said, I would say that the plank is a very very, very good foundational exercise for someone, um, meaning that you can start them on the wall and then work their way down till they get to a, um, you know, a prone position or a face down position and execute it correctly. To with, with that being said, you know, you can do a bunch of different variations with your, you know, your forearms on a ball and like, you know, you can, you know, do different types of planks that will be work, you know, work all three planes of motion. You can challenge yourself differently. Now, with that being said, I do not agree with planks that are loaded, like you said, Andy, with plates, you know, 45 pound plates on someone's back. I mean, that is there's no purpose to that. Plus, the purpose of us really focusing on that is to really activate and engage the core. And so we start out with three to five repetition or I'm sorry, three to five second holds for 12 to 20 repetitions. Not let me put all these weights on my back and then hold it for a minute and see if I can survive um, as well as let me see how long I can hold a plank and how many days I can hold it to win you know, some awards. So I think there's a time and a place. I think anywhere from four to eight weeks, it is very appropriate for the specifics of a, a particular adaptation of core stability, as well as working on the way up to core strength. But I absolutely do agree that there should be proper progressions in place and that, you know, they should, once they can own a plank, then maybe come back to revisit it throughout their time. Cause think about periodization and stuff like that. We want to make sure that the core is dialed, but uh, I, so I'm kind of an iffy because the way you explained it, I do think it's overrated. However, the way that I look at a plank, you know, it's still one that I think could be very beneficial um, if you look at it the way that I just explained. So are we two two right now? Technically, you and so you and Marty were definite too. Chris and I are kind of on the fence of. Eh, but but see, I agree with everybody, Wendy. Yeah. Everything you just said, I agree with, and there's a time and a place for it. But I think where maybe when we're saying overrated, I don't want to speak for Andy, is people put too much stock in is that is the end all be all, and they don't outthink of what would be the next progression from it. Doesn't mean like I said, I use it every day, but it's more of just getting the light switch turned on before I go do something different. So that's where yeah. I think you did a good job of saying why it could be overrated because it's maybe the, no one goes past that. They just do the plank and then they get up and go do whatever is next in their mind. 
Okay, and I just want to come back one one final point in that. Like for me, the plank is like base camp on Everest. You get there and you leap. You're moving up, and I understand its value and its significance, even in phase one. But if we're doing a good job of coaching, every time we have a client do a spa, a standing single leg balance, uh, a TRX inverted row, all of these different patterns and positions that we're putting our clients in, if we're doing a good job of coaching that kinematic sequence. In theory, they're all in different versions of planks, just with their body orientated differently to the ground and, and using gravity in, in different ways. So for me, I think most of our exercises inadvertently involve planks. So I just feel like it's over-programmed and overrated because we can get that same training effect in so many other areas without, in my opinion, burning up too much training time with someone face down on the ground. Very good points. Very good points. And if you guys are just joining us, I am uh, with my uh, partner here, Mr. Marty Miller, and we're doing the Master Instructor Roundtable. And we've got two special guests with us today. We've got Chris Eklund and Andy Hanley, and we are talking about exercises. Are they overrated or not? And so, so far, we've got a, eh, we don't know how to how to score <laughs> Andy's. We've got a four for four, definitely. Um overrated with Chris. So Marty, why don't you, uh, why don't you go in next and tell us, tell us your choice and why. Awesome. So since Andy, I am the only M&M on stage right here, I'm going to do exactly what you said and kind of just <laughs> get it done out of the way. So I kind of picked this exercise on purpose because I got two great performance coaches here and I, I am looking to engage in a uh, awesome conversation. So first and foremost, when you go back to my original background as an athletic trainer, I go to school. I went to school for athletes because we know they'll get hurt. It's not a matter if, it's a matter of when. We want to reduce injuries and we want to keep them healthy. But at some point, there is a time where athletes will participate in stuff that they know can risk injury. When we go into fitness, okay, so we're going to categorize this a little differently. In the fitness realm, I do not expect anybody coming into a traditional fitness setting, no matter how far you want to progress them, I do not expect them to get hurt if they're following a proper program. Athletes might put themselves at risk. Fitness, uh, fitness enthusiasts should not have to. So when I say that, the exercise that I chose that is overrated is the back squat. So it's a loaded squat. And the reason I say that is people tend to jump the gun and get into how much weight can I move? They're not worried about how well they move the weight. If you're squatting with improper form, back arched, head up, feet out, because that gets you a quote unquote better squat because you're compensating, you're eliminating the need for as much motion at the ankles and the hips, and you technically feel stronger. Well, maybe temporarily you are, but you're only going to get stronger in now that movement pattern. And if we look at what's going on in the kinetic chain, we absolutely know there's gonna be more stress throughout the kinetic chain. I'm not gonna go through all the key points here. That's not the point of this. So from a fitness standpoint, if we progress people properly, when it's time to load a squat, we can do goblet squats, which Chris talked about. We could use weight vests. We can use dumbbells. We can do a lot of things that don't put those compressive forces through the spine. Because my job as a fitness professional athletic trainer is to get the most out of my clients with the least amount of risk. So when I choose exercises, I look at risk versus reward. What can I do to improve their movement, load them appropriately for whatever phase of training there is and not reduce the chance, not increase the chance of any orthopedic injuries. A weighted squat 
what I say is the majority of people, I'm not saying it can't be done, but when I go into any fitness center or division one sports team, pro team, anyone that's doing a loaded squat has bad form and technique. Now we can argue, well, you broke parallel, so that's good form. No, that's the the that's the depth of your form, not the quality of the form and how you got there. So that's what I'm looking at. And I've been around enough high level athletes now that even the majority of high level athletes, except maybe the sport of football, they are even backing away from those back squats and they're finding other unique ways, whether it's weighted lunges, step ups, sled pushes and other ways to get that triple flexion, triple extension loaded without the risks that come from a traditional back squat. Well said. I'm not going to say never. <laughs> I'm going to say that it, I don't see it executed with our form and technique when it's loaded. Hmm. Andy, what's your take on that? Oh, mm. let's go. Let's go. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, as you're talking, mate, I'm, I'm writing notes here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, most of your points, while valid, were in regards to the execution of the squat, how it's programmed and the weight or intensity used, not necessarily about the exercise in and of itself. Correct. So is so your reasoning for calling it overrated has nothing to do with the actual nature of the back squat, just how people generally apply it, correct? Two, two things for clarity's sake, so I appreciate that, is <laughs> if I can not load someone's spine with those compressive forces, I'll, I'll choose not to unless they're gonna be tested in it. Like if I'm working with an elite football player, and they have to go and do a squat to earn their paycheck or their scholarship. I get it, right? But again, that goes back to as an athlete, they mm -hmm. might have to do things that are higher risk. So I love squatting patterns. Absolutely love them. But if I can reduce the compressive forces and do things that cue better patterning, that's where I would choose to stay away from a back squat for the majority of people. Hence why I think it's overrated. No, I mean, with that said, I, I would agree. I think it is overrated. I mean, some of my notes here I made when you were talking. I mean, yeah, this idea of the bilateral deficit, we can get the same relative intensity on a single leg versus two legs with that compressive force. So if we can get, you know, a similar training effect without the wear and tear, uh, I'm all for it. I think that's a win. I mean, I do love squatting by nature. I mean, it's a complex pattern, which is why it's often butchered. Um, I think when you see someone squat well and you just see that interaction of the muscles operate in such a well-coordinated fashion, you know, so I'm envious. I've never been a great squatter, so it's not something I program for myself because I know in time it's just not sustainable for me as, as I start ramping up on the intensity scale. Um, when you find someone that does it well, yeah, it's amazing. And if, if I found a squatter, I was working with Olympic lifters that needed that base strength, I would absolutely program it um, sure. because the synergy that exists between the hips and just the hips and the knees, it's I love it. Uh, but, yeah, for the general pop, for most of my athletes, it's not something I program. I would much rather program front squats, which I think is safer, keeps guys in a more advantageous position in terms of torso angles. Um, I do like to go heavy, though, um, mm -hmm. especially with my guys, just from a hormonal response that you can't always get from your single leg variations. But on the most part, I would agree. I think it's an overrated exercise. Um, oftentimes, poorly programmed, badly executed. So I would tend to agree. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. If somebody can do it and they've earned the right, let's go. Let's yeah. go. There are benefits, but like you said, Olympic athlete. Well, again, athletes are either going to have really well-trained coaches that got them to do it well, or they're willing to risk some bad form of technique because they need those hormonal responses, but that's why they're athletes, right? They're 
they're, well, yeah, they're, and that's they're it. And that's, at risk more. Yeah, and, I, and just the way you presented it, I agree with you. I mean, my argument was going to be, well, if you're in the sport, and for a lot of guys, squatting is a sport, right? So it mm-hmm. wouldn't be overrated. It is their bread and butter. Um, but that, I think that's a conversation for a different day. I mean, right now, yeah, yeah, I think it's overrated. It's not something that takes up a huge part of my programming for all the reasons that you just attested to there. Nice. All right. So, so far, Marty, you know, you're, 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 people are agreeing with you. So Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, unfortunately I gotta, gotta agree. Overrated. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, going, going back to what I, what I said from my exercises, you know, back squat would kind of fit into this and, you know, as, as a one RM that's used a lot. And I think a lot of these patterns that we talk about, uh, whether they're the overrated exercise or favorite exercises, much of this is contextual. Of course, it's who who are we dealing with? Um, what are their goals? Um, how does this contribute or detract from that? Uh, and so, much of what Andy and and uh, Marty have already spoken to deal with this, right? I mean, if you're if you're uh, a weightlifter, uh, if you're a power lifter, not overrated. It's it's sports specificity. You've got to be good at these. No no matter um, what your your potential limitations are, right? If you if well for most people, you know the ability to hold spine position in these is like that's that's the circuit breaker that usually gives. Um, but whether it's that, um, whether it's um, the ability to load hips, whether it's 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 some kinetic chain issue that they've got of stability mobility. Uh, patterning, sequencing, whatever the issue may be, it doesn't matter. They have to develop um, the, the technical capacity and um, and strength to be able to perform that pattern. But for most people, and I think this has been a, a downfall or, or uh, of, of, of how we've looked at fitness or performance over the years is, you know, we typically as a population, we look to who are the best, right? Who are who are the best? Who are the strongest? Who are the fittest? We look at what they do, right? So early on, it was made, like looking at bodybuilders or looking at power lifters, Olympic lifters. These are the patterns that they did. So if they do those, and they're very strong. Then you know, by default, we think we should probably do these. But as Marty mentioned, that has nothing to, to do with it at all. This is their sport. This is their livelihood. You know, genetically and, and maybe mechanically, they're made to do these things well. They may have joints of steel, right? Layer in all these factors, and they're willing to risk um, I- injury to perform because this is what they love to do and this is their chosen profession. That is not who we're dealing with um, with with our fitness population, certainly, most of them, um, nor are our athletes. You know, if we've got basketball players or volleyball players, these long-levered people who – um, don't need these, you know, massive loads to be able to perform their sport and potentially, you know, could could be more of a risk than a benefit for them. So, absolutely agree that the pattern as a rule is overrated. There are so many other options that we we have learned, and I think even come back to from way back when, you know, and, and maybe the fifties and sixties of doing single leg patterns, and, and as Andy mentioned. Um, taking advantage of the bilateral deficit where we can lift so much more load, uh, um, uh, combined load doing single leg than we can often doing a, a bilateral pattern. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the average uh, athlete or the average person 
to load that sucker up and, and go for it. The risk doesn't make sense. Okay. <clears throat> so I guess it's my turn. And I'm going to have to also say that I think it's overrated. And when I think of a back squat, of course, you know, I'm thinking of a straight bar behind my back. I've got people that are grabbing a hold of it. Most of the time, people are, were taught to look up, which just as a reminder, if you look up, there's something called the uh, pelvo-ocular reflex. So as you look up, your hips will go into an anterior pelvic tilt, which will also cause um, even more compression to the lower spine. Um, but even if somebody maintained the pro uh, proper five kinetic chain checkpoints, if they were had any tightness in their upper body, then what they're trying to do to even get their hands back to support just their hands on the bar. And this is just at the setup without actually loading and moving the bar. Um, there's just a lot of compensations that I often see when you're using that particular bar. Now, I do have some athletes um, that, you know, play football and they they have to squat um, for their sport. Um, and this is not necessarily because of me, but it's because it's something they have to go to camp and be able to do. So if that is the case, I may have them use the safety bar just so that way their hands are still here and then they can focus on the movement. However, I'm still not a big fan of the impact um, that it can the amount of compression, as every one of my colleagues have just said, the, the actual impact on the spine. However, if I do have clients that also really do want to squat, I mean, you've got the hex bar and there's there's so many different types of other pieces of equipment out there where you can still lift heavy that, you know, maybe you won't have to compress um, your actual spine to do so. So I'm a big, big fan of the single leg stuff. I do think it's a very or an unbelievable carryover long term. Um, but I would say based on the fitness population and based on everything we've talked about, I also agree that that is overrated. So you, Marty, have a four for four. <laughs> I'm, I'm, do you know what? It's funny. I'm going to jump in one more time, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I expect it. I expect it. Yeah. That's why I chose this. Listening to you guys talking has, is almost swaying me. I mean, because we keep talking about how it's being programmed. It's not necessarily exercise in and of itself. So if someone has the capacity to do it, the bar positions well because you got to look at what's what's taking place there's a massive isometric contraction of like the postural muscles that stabilize the trunk to allow us to move through our hips that's incredible yep. right we've just got to make sure that we have a sufficient load and we're working our guys with incorrect ranges and speeds that allow them to do it safely i think there's a lot of positive carryover to come from back squats yeah uh, i never say never i'm just saying yes. the, weak, the reason i use overrated is because the majority of people will not do what they need to do to get to that level. They're either not patient enough or they're not guided by the right people. And they just, well, that's why I turn my feet out. That's why I squat this way. Like, no, 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 you're not patient. You're not earning the right. Mm -hmm. If you can execute it for a short period of time, undulate your program, just like you shouldn't bench every Monday for the rest of your life with a barbell and you know, only stay in that phase of training. I have no problem if somebody did a four to six week squat progression, if they earned the right to be underneath that bar. It's just that's why I tend to say overrated because it's just not going to be executed well. But I guess is that not our job as coaches, right? Because I can go, I can, I've watched some incredible coaches out there applying, you know, relatively not the, all that complex exercises and seeing them executed poorly, but that's more to learning at play. Like we've got to allow guys to move, albeit safe, but sometimes not in an ideal manner to allow mm -hmm. them to better understand and discover how to move. And then through that, they develop motor control and obviously becomes, you know, motor behavior down the road. But I, I feel like for us to remove an exercise from anyone's movement vocabulary, 
because they haven't got the ability to do it perfectly there and then may be doing them a disservice. And this just isn't back squat. This goes across yeah. to, to yeah, no, I agree. That's why I classify it as overrated. There are some exercises I will never give out. This doesn't fall in that category. I just say it's highly overrated yeah. because of the complexity. Sometimes the lack of people knowing how to coach it or how to put corrective strategies behind it. And a lot of times the client isn't patient to do all that other work and they just want to get a workout in. So why wouldn't I give them something that will feed into that, like the hex bar squat or something else that maybe eventually will only help them if I ever did want to load them. And so I want to kind of jump in here too. I mean, so, I mean, to Andy's point, I mean, yes, there is always a time and place for a majority of exercises that are out there. I think when, when somebody came to me with this topic and they said, let's talk about overrated exercises, I was looking at it in general, because again, if I am their coach and I am their trainer, I am only going to program exercises that they can execute with a hundred percent certainty. So therefore we can keep building up and progressing whatever um, program we're doing that day, each and every time, you know what I mean? So yes, if there's a, a time and a place to do a back squat, it's going to be important for that client. I'm going to put it into their program when I see fit based on their ability to do so. Um, but with that being said, I was thinking more in general, like when I walk into the gym, what are exercises I see with or without a trainer that yeah. people are doing? And the back squat is a big one that I see where I see it brutally done. Um, yeah. But again, that could impact and lead to long term, if not immediate injury, um, based on the amount of load, as well as, you know, if they have a spot, how much are they actually lifting themselves and how much are they having a spot or lift <laughs> just to say that they threw up some ungodly amount of weight. So I, again, there is a time and place in a sport, but you're actually working with an athlete in that sport. So we're not saying don't do a back squat if you're an Olympic lifter or whatever, because we know that's your sport. But for the day-to-day -day people, um, I think we've kind of made made some great points of things to, to really think about because in my opinion, you guys are going to take this information and do with it what you will. Um, these are just our opinions and, and hopefully yeah. the rationales of why um, are making sense. But I guess it's my turn. Um, yes. We've been yeah. waiting for this one. I know. Well, <laughs> and I think actually I think my panel is probably going to agree with me. I, I don't know this for sure. However, I know some of the people watching are probably going to be really upset with me. Um, but I chose as an overrated exercise, the dips. And the reason that I chose the dips is because if you think about the active range of motion that you have in your shoulder, or we're talking about shoulder extension, we're looking at approximately 45 to 60 degrees. And when you're going down into a dip, most people will likely be, or will likely go well beyond that when you're performing dips. Cause you have to think when you're going back, you want to think about like what's happening at the shoulder complex. And so this is going to put stress on the anterior shoulder capsule and the ligaments, which then is going to lead to shoulder instability over time, if, if not immediate, depending on, on what you're doing. And in the dip, you know, as you know, when you go down, the shoulder is going to go into internal rotation, which then can lead to impingement and compressive forces in that shoulder. And then think about the, the based on the direction of resistance. So think about gravity. It's really just not a, ideal to challenge your triceps in that way um, when you think about risk versus benefit. You know, it's going to be there's so many less risky options out there to work your tricep. And so, unfortunately, I have seen um, a professional athlete 
uh, go out and do things on his own. And dips were one of his favorite exercises. We told him not to do it. He chose to do it. And he actually had his, his humerus come out of his shoulder capsule, popped right out and ruined his career. And so because I have seen a major injury happen due to someone doing dips, um, I think it's one of those that is extremely um, risky. I think there are better options. And then when I look at people in the gym and they're performing dips and they've got this huge chain on with like this 45 pound weight that's hanging from their hips and they've got a big anterior arch and they're going down and they're, you know, they're really not in proper alignment. It's like, what is the purpose of that? And so if there is some purpose that I just am unaware unaware of, then I'm, I'm, I'm very open. But to me, that is definitely a exercise that I personally will never program because I don't see a benefit with any of my clients. So, all right, Andy, mm -hmm. lay it, lay, lay into me. I'm with you hundred percent overrated. A lot of people lack the mobility. They lack the stability. They lack the, the preparatory or necessary strength to maintain good, you know, glenoid humor and joint position. And especially in that deep end range. And the reality is a lot, of, the funny thing is a lot of people often when they can't do your traditional dips will go to the bench. And I think the bench has a tendency to put you in an almost worse position. Um, so it's not something that I program with my guys ever, uh, especially my overhead athletes. These guys generally suffer from a lot of anterior instability anyway, because they live in external rotation with the throwing mechanics on such a repetitive basis. So yeah, um, I'm with you. Dips are a no-no. <laughs> not overrated they are no no yeah well i wanted to say that as well so before we take anyone else's uh opinions or get get um the rest of you guys opinion i wanted just to kind of throw it back out there if you're just joining us we are doing a master instructor roundtable with my partner in crime mr marty miller and today we have two incredible guests that are like just two men i hold deep to my heart which is andy hanley as well as chris eklund and we are talking about exercises that we personally feel are overrated and then giving you rationales to why so uh chris what do you think about the dips yes well, I was curious, you, um, so you don't do dips. I was wondering if maybe you could show us uh, what your tricep development is like. Can you give us a quick little? Oh, I don't want to show all you guys up, so I'm just going to hold <laughs> off on that. <laughs> I know there's some big egos on here, and I don't want to make you guys, uh, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings. That's, <laughs> that's kind of you. We, we appreciate that. Yeah, I, uh, I would have to agree with you 100% as well. I think um, – <clears throat> over the course of my career it's hard to actually think of a time i've walked into a gym where these are being done and and thought yeah that that looks good uh that guy or that gal is doing those well um it's usually traditions it's it's like one of it kind of comes back to a back squat thing for me it's it it is a pattern that can be done uh, I would say that. So, I, you know, I might argue with you on that one. I think it, it is a pattern that could be done. Uh, like all, there's risk benefit. I think most of the time it's absolutely butchered. Uh, and there's so many other options that can be utilized. The tough the tough part about this one, um, which I was thinking about as you were, as you were speaking, is um, oftentimes, you know, we'll talk about developing good movement patterns and, and being able to handle body weight loads prior to adding external loads. And this is a body weight pattern, you know? So I think it's at least worth mentioning it does, 
it doesn't always hold true that the body weight pattern is going to be the best pattern because this is a, a you know arguably a body weight pattern and it's probably not a very good place to start um, and for some people uh, to ever go to because of the difficulty um, of holding the pattern of, of lack of shoulder range of motion of lack of, sh of shoulder stability and already uh, having so many anterior capsule and anterior shoulder issues with so many of our clients so um, interesting to, to think of that point and yeah <clears throat> It's just not a, a pattern that that I love uh, to program for people. It most often just looks ugly and often a lot of times hurts. Well, and before I go to Marty, um, there are two points I actually wanted to throw in there. And, you know, I also think about common compensations and especially because more and more people are, are um, coming in with rounded shoulders and forward head and, uh, you know, their upper traps um, and these muscles are super overactive. Um, you know, we're feeding into a compensation when you go into that, um, which obviously can lead to more stress and, and greater chances of injury just by doing that exercise alone. And then I hear people sometimes saying, well, if I'm holding on to the bar and I'm letting my body, you know, um, you know, I'm lifting my body up and I lean forward, then it should be okay. But then you're saying that you can actually hold your body in proper alignment and then go down and making sure that you don't go into internal rotation of the shoulder while doing that. I just find that very hard to envision someone doing correctly. And so I just wanted to throw that out there as well, that, I mean, there may be some person that can do it with proper alignment. I just don't know how it can be done. Um, and once you really stress out the anterior shoulder capsule, then um, there's really not a lot you can do to fix that. And um, just wanted to say that. So Marty, what do, what do you think? Well, I know you know what I think, because you've heard me say this for 15 plus <laughs> years with NASM is this falls for me personally, not saying from an ASM standpoint, this falls into my personal no do list. It's just not going to do it. Uh, because even if somebody has ideal form, your, your head of your humerus is trying to go through the anterior shoulder capsule. You just can't prevent that part of it, even with good form. And when you just said, once you stretch that out, not a lot of going back to that. So I'll work on push-up patterns. I'll work on all kinds of other things. But the dip is, I used to do them when I was in high school. I was good at them because of body weight. But thank God I learned in sports medicine early on what I could have been doing to my shoulder. So this is one that you will not get me to program just because I, I don't see the value in it. Oh, so Marty, just so you know, I used to do them as well. And I would load myself with 45 mm -hmm. pound plates and see absolutely. how far down I could go yes. and how fast I, like I could do them. The bench dips and, with all the oh, plates too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. so I think we're all guilty of doing all of these exercises. We know how they feel. We know how they look. And then now that we're getting more and more education and learning more I thought more you were going to say older. I thought you were no. saying older. Okay. As we're getting wiser <laughs> and we, we are learning more about biomechanics proper movement patterns and proper execution and, and do's and don'ts of, of things that could lead to long-term injuries. I think we, uh, we can all agree that's a four out of four. So, um, so basically uh, before I, I, well, I'll go ahead and give my parting words and then I'll hand it over to Andy and Chris and then Marty, you can kind of close this out. But I think all, all four exercises that were discussed, I think there's a time and place um, with all, with the exception of mine, I, again, do not, program that personally. Um, please note that these are just our personal opinions. And so if you choose to do stuff, it's at your own risk. We're just telling you why we do or do not do them. 
think the only one that uh, I can see a lot of really positive things and negative things based on what was said would be Mr. Andy. Um, I, I just, I love the plank. However, there has, it has to be progressed. It does have to be progressed. So, um, so I a hundred percent agree with you there, but uh, Chris, why don't you, uh, you give your parting words before we hand it over to Andy. Not a lot to say. Uh, I appreciate the conversation as always with you guys. It's always helpful to talk with uh, people that are smarter than I am and uh, pick up some new things. So I love listening to you guys talk. I appreciate your perspectives and, uh, and the opportunity to be here and, and hang out with you guys for a little while. So appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Andy. Yeah. I'll second, uh, I'll second what Chris just said there. It's been enjoyable. Um, always nice to get on here and talk shop with you guys. Um, as coaches, when we're writing programming, yes, we're, we're responsible for the X's and O's. We've got to make sure that biomechanically everything is in tune with what we're prescribing for our guys. But we've also just got to remember to appreciate the human element. And sometimes we're going to work with clients that love to back squat or enjoy dips. And it's okay to put it in there for them on occasion if it's going to increase engagement and excite them. So for a dip, we know at the top people are going to start in a neutral position. Maybe you could just work on not taking it to end range, reducing it so they're staying in a comfortable depth working on uh, you know postural holds just shy of lockout where you can still give them that experience but you know that you can stand by and say you know i'm still doing what's right um by my client physically um but yeah i mean outside of that it's look strength training programming it's a game right it's a game of stimulus and response we pick the exercises we have fun programming but ultimately it's going to come back to the individual and their experience during the session so yes we've got to be safe we've got to be mindful of posture positions all of that fun stuff but uh I would say as a coach, just keep an open mind to what your client's preferences and biases are. And while we're educating them to think in alignment with what might be in their best interest, we've still got to meet them where they're at and obviously just do that as safely as possible. Oh, good point. So it's about the client, not about us. Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's that's <laughs> what I'm bringing it back to. Wendy, as, as, as we sit here in our thrones behind the screens, it's only about what these guys are paying for and the experience we create. <laughs> Yes. You know, it, Wendy, it sounds like he has my three rules of fitness, right? Do no harm, give them what they want while you give them what they need and have fun. Mm -hmm. and, and that's and that's the end of it. So mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this. It's it's great to get us all together. Obviously, Wendy and I get the privilege of doing this all the time, but you guys gave such great perspectives and just added to the content. So really building off what Andy said is, you know, I'm going to add challenge yourself to evaluate maybe what you just uh, blindly program sometimes, right? So if we talked about some exercises that you do, or maybe you haven't evaluated some of your go-tos, just kind of put it through the process that you saw all four of us here do. And then I think you can start to, you know, pick up on some of your habits and maybe evaluate your exercises as either your overrated or your favorites that we did last week. So everybody, thank you all for your time. And obviously Wendy and I will be back with some new exciting content next Thursday. Thank you guys.